Lucky you. 36 pistols and golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Sandy. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Hey, Billy Regan, we are so thrilled. Today, we have a celebrity, and I don't mean just in golf, in so many areas. He's had such a life and has only lived half of it. I know he's got another half in front of him. I do. It's thrilled to have Billy Harmon on the podcast. Billy, so thrilled to have you here. I'm very, Wingfoot very grateful to We were originally members of Waikiki Guild. And so dad would let us come over, play on Mondays. It was caddy day back then. And so I can remember maybe nine or 10 uh, playing on Mondays. Uh, when dad finished third in the open in 59, I was only eight. So I was upset that he didn't win. <laughs> I realize now him finishing third in the open at age 43 with six kids as a host pro might have been a greater feat than one of the masters, to be honest with you. But so my memories kind of started then, I would say, uh, eight, nine years old. Eight, nine years old. And, and were you playing already? You were, you oh, yeah, were... I was playing. Yep. I can remember we would uh, go in and get a brown cow or something at the term, you know, and I realize now the bartender probably hated us because he had to go in the kitchen to get the ice cream. And stuff. Scoop of ice cream. <laughs> looking back on it, I bet he hated seeing the, the little Harmon kids come in there on Mondays, you know. And Craig said something very interesting. I, I said, I have a picture of uh, dad played with Hogan the last round of the Open in 59. And it's a picture taken probably from the front uh, right of the tee. So it was Hogan and his follow through. You saw the clubhouse in the back was beautiful. And dad was there leaning on his club. I now know that dad shot 70 and beat Hogan by six shots, finished third, lost by two. And I tried to imagine any other club pro in the world that could have done that. Let's say they were on the last tee with Tiger Woods with a chance to win the Open, and they were going to beat Tiger by six. And I thought about how comfortable he must have been, you know, to do that, because he wasn't, he was 43 or four years old. He wasn't playing any tournaments. And Craig said something interesting. I'd never heard this. He said, well, dad must have thought he was one of them. Right. So when he played with Hogan or Snead or some of the better players, he knew that they were, you know, better than him for the most part. But he didn't think that if he played good, he couldn't beat him, you know? So he must have felt that I'm kind of one of them. He and was story, one of them. He was, as it turned out, but a story that will uh, add to that is Craig Wood told me that when he hired dad, he asked my dad, what type of player you want to be? And he said, well, I want to be like you. And we called him Uncle Craig and Uncle Craig said, uh, well, the way you hold on to the club and that snap hook you hit, you won't get out of Westchester County. <laughs> and so my dad, which was true, he said, well, I love the game. I'll do whatever it takes. And Craig Wood said, yeah, well, a lot of people say that, but when the improvement doesn't come right away, they'll retreat back to what feels good. And he said, your father got mad at me and said, I'll do what it takes. And so he did do what it took. And then I also have a photo in my uh, office at the club of the very first uh, master's champions dinner it was called the organization meeting it's written on the on the and 
dad is, uh, they've got all the champions and Bobby Jones and Cliff Roberts and dad is standing up and Craig Wood and a few other guys are kneeling down in this picture. And Craig just by coincidence was kneeling under dad. So I said to dad one time, did you ever needle uncle Craig <laughs> about him telling you that you weren't gonna be any good. Now you're at the champions dinner with him at Augusta. And dad said, yeah, I needled him. I, I uh, named my second son, Craig Wood Harmon because had Craig Wood not told me the truth, I'd have never been any good. But you know, what's interesting about where you said that putt was, Greg Norman wasn't that far off that line. Yeah, dad Remember? was more behind the hole. Norman okay. was slightly more pin high. The putt that Norman make, you couldn't make one out of a hundred. How bad was that second shot he hit? <laughs> it was, what would you say that was? He had a perfect drive as he was. Six a iron, he was, and he hit it in the middle of those bleachers. Yeah. And so it, it was unbelievably bad shot, really, because the bleachers had to be 20 yards to the right of the green, I would think. At least. So it was 40 or 50 yards offline with a six iron, one of the great players ever. And he did it at Augusta in 86. Same thing. Augusta. Same thing. And so isn't that funny how um, you guys play? Water seeks its level, boy. If you, have a, uh, if you have a flaw in your swing or you have the shot, in Hogan's case, you know, the fear of the hook stuff, it's coming, boy. <laughs> the problem is you can almost feel it, you know? Yeah thing that is intriguing there's a lot of intriguing things about norman but he's such an enigma to me because he's won 90 tournaments worldwide so how can you win 90 tournaments and be a choke artist right that doesn't go together no. there's no way you can win that many tournaments uh when butch worked for him uh butch said something interesting he said he didn't know how to gear down so if Tiger had a tournament to win or Jack had a tournament to win, they knew how to shoot for the middle of greens. And, you know, you could write their name on the trophy if they had a one-shot lead with three to play. It was over with. Where Greg, he said he just, he always had just one gear, you know, and he didn't know how to, uh, to gear down or he didn't know how to who change his, his plan with four or five holes left in a tournament when he had a chance to win, he was still trying to strangle the course. And so I think he's more of an enigma to me because you can't win 90 tournaments, professional tournaments and be a choker. And Mickelson did the same thing, right? I think that's the worst shot ever hit in, in uh, competition that drive on, on 18, because you guys have been there more than I have, but in my lifetime, I never saw anybody carry a ball into 11 East on the fly. Now you got a little unlucky if the merchandise tent wasn't there, he wins the open. Yep. He's got a pretty easy shot from the yep. And every time I go to Wingfoot, I stand on that tee and I try to imagine the ball flight that got that ball into the 11th tee fairway on the fly. Knowing that if you miss, you can miss right and chop it out in front of the green and the best wedge player, you know, supposedly probably going to have no more than an eight footer win the open, but he's going to a playoff. He had, you know, I've caddied in tournaments where, you know, Jay's had a one shot lead going the last hole. And I, in my mind, we have two chances to win the tournament. Now we can either win it on this hole or win in a playoff, but don't, <laughs> don't Lose blow both chances by being uh, stupid, you know, but well, 18, the first thing you think is like, don't call that. 
Don't, any anywhere but left. Anybody in the world that's ever played there more than yeah. twice would know that. Yeah. Don't go left. And not only did he go left, he went 100 yards. Right. Yeah. So his miss, as we know, if he hits it out to the right, I know the rough was high, but he could chop a wedge down, hit the down slope, run at 30, 40 yards on the green. So if you look at where he was supposed to miss and where he missed, it was probably at least 100 yards, I would say. Between them. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable when you think about it. A guy, a guy that good. And I'll share an interesting story for people that love the game. So Jay made the cut and he got paired with Johnny Miller the next day, who was a defending champ. I think he said he shot 78, which he said, by the way, wasn't that bad on that course, as you know, the massacre of Wingfoot. But I didn't play well. And he said, going back to my hotel, I realized that uh, two, I learned two important things. First thing was that Johnny Miller didn't care about me. You know, I cared about impressing Johnny Miller. He was a defending champ and all that stuff. And the second thing was more important is that he wasn't supposed to care about me. I need to care about me. So we'll fast forward to the next year at Medina in 75. Jay's playing very good. I think he's within the top 15 going to the third round. And he gets paired with Nichols. So one year later, he gets to... Uh, and Jack shot 75 and Jay shot 72. And so uh, very interesting how some people get it, whatever it is. But this kid at 19 years old figured this out. And one year later, you know, beat Jack Nichols in the round that he played with them. And I think that's the interesting thing about good players is <clears throat> with all this information and track man and forces and ground forces and obliques and you know engaging the glutes and stuff and we can measure all this stuff but we couldn't measure how that kid figured out going down the Hutchison Parkway what he did wrong that day I'm swing theoried out per personally but I'm so interested in the people that play and why they're good you know because if the three of us five or six years ago went to Augusta and we sat in the bleachers on the range. We didn't know who anybody was, okay? Now we've all been around golf for whole lives. We've seen it. And we had to figure out who the number one player in the world was. Not one of us would have said Jordan Spieth, right? Not even close. In fact, he might not have been in the top 50 just watching his swing and everything. So, and as you alluded to, you know, Scotty Scheffler. And so the, kind of goes back to what Craig said about that. He thought he was one of them. You know, I made it this far with the great Sam Snead. I'm going to stick to my game plan. So he went back and put the driver back at the one iron, one iron, nine iron, 20 feet. And he said, Sam played the most beautiful pitch shot you ever saw about three feet from the hole. And back then they played stymies. And by sheer luck, my dad missed his putt and it left Snead a stymie. He couldn't putt at the hole. So I said, what, what would you do in that instance? Uh, you know, just concede a heavy. He says, no, you got to make the great Sam Snead put it out sideways and then give it to him. Just to, <laughs> you got you to embarrass him a little bit. <clears throat> so they got to the 42nd hole. This is another, he must have felt like he was one of them stories. So they both had about 25 footers. Snead was getting ready to putt. And my dad says, I don't think you're away. Now, how many guys would do that? <laughs> club pros you know and Snead says well why do I have to believe you and he said well you don't let's get a referee 
so referee came out and got a rope and uh, measured it. And dad was away by six inches and dad made it in uh, Sneed Mist. And when he congratulated my dad, excuse my language, but he said, you hung my ass with that rope. <laughs> <laughs> now, many years later, I was at Bob Golby's uh, farmhouse in Belleville, Illinois. And I'd gotten in late at night. I was driving from Colonial to Muirfield to Caddy for Jay. And he said, I'll leave the door open for you. Here's where your room is and stuff. And I go down and have breakfast and Sam Sneed's there. Sneed's staying with Bob. So now I'm sitting there. My dad could embellish stories pretty good. So I always kind of took some of them. He was a great storyteller. So the fact is he did beat him in 42 holes. So there was a, had to be some of it was true. So I wanted to figure out if I could get Sneed's version of the story without going, hey, my dad beat you, you know, and PGA, <laughs> you know. And uh, <clears throat> so I said, uh, you know, Mr. Sneed, I, you know, my dad used to talk about the match he had with the at Norwood Hills. And, you know, he, he said how lucky he was, you know, he laid you the stymie. I kind of buttered him up a little bit, you know. And he immediately said he was the luckiest SOB he told the exact story that dad told. It was unbelievable. He said, your dad shot 63 or four. He was six up. He went through the whole thing. And then he said, he hung my ass with that rope on the 42nd hole. So the story was, and you know what? It still bothered Sneed. You know, nowadays they, they have so many, so much information. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's good. I, I think, you know, the Palmers and the Gary players and the Trevinos and the Caspers and the Nicholases. I mean, they, you know, they'd get a tip every now and then from somebody, but they own their own swing. It was theirs. It wasn't somebody else's. It wasn't some guy looking at track man who couldn't break 85, telling him what to do. And I'm not knocking all those guys, by the way, but I'm just not convinced that the great players today are better than the great players of yesterday. There's more good players. For sure, no doubt about that. But the great ones, I don't know. Let's throw Tiger out of the, the equation right now. But who's playing today that would back Palmer off or Gary Player or Lee Trevino or Billy Casper? Or they'd be afraid to get on the tee with them. I don't think too many. Raymond Floyd, even. Do you think Raymond yeah. would back off one of these guys with that funny looking swing? Tom Watson, you know? So I think it's interesting. The, but I think all of those guys owned their game. They owned it. It was them. Remember the guy, Mike Donald, who almost won the Open at Medina? Yeah. Yes. He told me a story recently, which is great. He's He lost his game and playing the Nationwide Tour, I think they called it. And he was playing with a guy late in the year who was going to finish high enough to get his card. So he said to Mike, uh, you know, what do I need to do on tour? He said, well, at some point you're going to have to shoot 67 on Sunday playing with Norman or Chevy or Raymond Floyd or Jack or somebody. Guy goes, ah, I'm not intimidated by anybody. I play my own game. And yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Go get him. So, of course, the guy goes out and misses his cart. And uh, he sees Mike the next year and he says, you know, you were right. So I knew I was right. But you didn't know what I was actually telling you. You had no idea what I was telling you. So you're going to go out on tour and you're going to walk on the range. And Ernie Els is going to be sitting there talking to Phil and Norman and Nick Price and Lanny Watkins, you see, and they all know each other and they're comfortable. They've played with each other 500 times. They've played this tournament 20 times and you walk on and you, you are less than zero to these people. They don't know you. They don't care about you. 
you are not one of them until you play with them on Sunday and shoot 66 or seven. He said, I remember doing it. I think he said at Westchester playing with uh, Floyd and maybe uh, Norman. And the next week I walked on the tee and Raymond Floyd turned to me and said, Hey, Mike, how you doing? So I did want to ask you about two guys in that particular line, uh, Zalatoris and Cam Young, who've come up pretty quickly, right? No, I think that they, they didn't have that. I think that they, they both had that inner arrogance. I don't mean that in a bad way, right? Because they certainly played that way. Uh, and I watched Cam, you know, last year played so well in the majors. He never looked like the moment was too big for him, and certainly not Zalatoris. So, you know, Zalatoris played good at Wingfoot when he was on the Corn yes. Ferry Tour. I think he finished fifth or sixth in 2020. And But that's the part that I think is hard to teach. You know, Cam, Cam Young, you know, Sleepy Hollow kid, I guess, yeah. he walks around like, uh, I'm good. He could have won the Open at St. Andrews. Yep. He could have easily won that Open. He was playing with Cam Smith the last round. I How played. does Smith make four on the road hole behind the bunker? There you go. You know, so, um, and that's also interesting. Uh, you know, if he makes five or six, Cam Young wins the British Open, maybe, or Rory. I remember asking Bob Golby one time. Bob finished second at uh, Open Hills uh, to Littler, and player beat him at Aronomic by a shot. And I said to Bob, what, what's your memory of uh, Open Hills? Did you have a chance? He says, well, Littler, I think 282 once over par one. He said, well, Littler shot 35, the back nine. Sometimes the guy shoots 37 and the other guy wins, you know, because <laughs> 37 is not a bad score. If you play the back nine at Wingfoot in the open, would it be? It wouldn't be choking. And he said, Gary at Aronimic, uh missed 10 greens and got it up and in 10 out of 10 times. He said, sometimes a guy gets up and in eight out of 10 and the other guy wins. So as you said, he didn't have to get that up and down for four, right? Right. And so there's such a confluence of events that can go into winning a tournament. And a yeah. lot of the times it's not, you know, Cam didn't lose that. Uh, Young yeah. didn't lose that tournament. Smith won it, you know. Yeah, I don't even and, think Rory lost it. I think Rory no. played well. They weren't going in. No, but he missed da- every putt. Your dad he may win, win the uh, Open in Wingfoot if uh, Billy Cashman doesn't have 27 putts around, right? You know, Hello? so you but that's the beauty of the game is you can't play defense. I remember when Tiger won the, the Masters in 2019 and they compared it to Jack in 86. I said, there's no comparison. Jack played the last 10 holes in seven under with a bogey. Tiger hit the back nine two shots back with the best players in the world. He played the back nine and one under and they all parted like the Red Sea, which they did, by the way. Yep. Every one of them parted. They handed him the tournament. I'm not taking it away from Tiger because once he saw those guys hitting the ball in the water on 12, walking down the 11th fairway, he turned it into, you guys said you wanted a piece of me. Now you're going to get it. I'm relatively healthy. You like that injured Tiger? I'm not injured right now. (laughs) And he, from there, played beautifully. But they all just folded. Every one of them. It was kind of weird. Good players, too. Guys that were good. Yeah, that was Jack some back nine. Jack didn't Nicholas. shoot 35 being two shots back and win. He shot 30. He bogeyed 12, front. right? That's exactly 12. right. Yeah. I, in fact, Jay played with him on Saturday. I caddied for Jay. And this is my best caddy story. So Jay was playing good Sunday. 
and we got to uh, we, yeah, we we got to 15, uh, three shots back. We're ahead of the leaders. We're ahead of Jack by a couple <laughs> holes, and it's hard to believe it had wooden clubs back then because it doesn't seem that long ago. And you know, in a couple months, we're going to see all the highlights of Jack winning and stuff. They, they didn't have metal woods, so. On Tuesday, there was a sprinkler out on 15. It was 234 to the front. And Jay said to me, well, if we're not ahead of that, we're not going for it. He liked to make decisions because he couldn't overpower a course. So he had to kind of chart his way. He said, I can't afford to make stupid sixes on these holes. I have to do some, I have to figure out a way to get it done differently. So I think he's five under for the round, just hitting it good. And Jay was good. He could hit the ball right in the middle of the club face almost every time. And so he hits a nice drive, boy, and I'm looking for this sprinkler because I want to send them. You never know. You make eagle, right? You just don't know. And uh, ah, we get there, and he's seven yards behind the – have you guys heard this story? No. Nope. It's pretty funny. So uh, back then I, I was running pretty good. I was orbiting the universe, I'd say. And uh, <laughs> I wanted him to go. And my dad used to tell me that you gamble when you're swinging good, not when you're swinging bad. How about that little tidbit? Jay was really swinging good. And it was warm out and hit 241 to the front, which is a lot, you know, in those days. And he says, how far do we got? And I lied. I lied. I took the seven yards off. I said, you got 234, pins on 16. Oh, that's a perfect three foot. So as soon as he says it, I go, what the hell am I doing here? It's Sunday of Augusta. I've just given him the wrong yardage over water. You got to be the dumbest guy that ever lived. So now I'm starting to think, I got to get out of this. I got to say, I added and subtracted. I got, you know, I got confused with the, you know, I didn't get a good uh, upbringing there. I own a grammar school. You're good at math. As I'm trying to figure out how am I going to stop him, the, the handheld CVS camera is running behind us. They're going to show this shot live. So now I'm really better. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, God. So now you guys caddy. So you understand this. So I'm sitting out there going, what am, I, what am I doing? You know, this is all happening in 20 seconds. You know, my life is going in front of me. And by now he's over the ball. So I said, well, here we go, boy. You know. And he hit the most beautiful shot I think I've ever seen him hit. This big high draw, and it was there the whole way. And when he started his downswing, I think I was screaming, get up, you know. <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh, no, that's there. <laughs> well, I forgot to tell you about that seven I got here in my caddy bib. My dad called it the white tuxedo. And uh, he had a beautiful shot about 20 feet, 15 feet. So he... Birdied part in, I think finished fifth, maybe shot 66 or seven the last round. Good tournament, you know, play with Jack, top five in a major. We're all pretty happy afterwards. So the next week was Hilton Head. He says, I'll meet you there at seven o'clock on Tuesday. I said, fine. Uh, there, seven o'clock on Tuesday. He hated practice rounds. It was funny. Jay hated practice rounds. And he said, oh, let's just go. I don't even want to hit balls. Let's get this over with. So being a recovering Catholic, <laughs> knowing all about confessions, you know, <laughs> we're walking down the first fairway and I, I'm thinking, you know, I got to kind of tell them what I did there on 15. It's, 
I don't know, it was kind of bugging me, even though it turned out right, it wasn't the right thing to do. So I said, yeah, I got a confession to make. And he said, what, you gave me the wrong yardage on 15 on Sunday? <laughs> he knew it. He said, that was actually good caddy. And he said, back to your dad's thing, you gamble when you're swinging good. I was actually going to consider going for it anyway. So that was really good caddy because that's what I wanted to hear. Let's go for it. So I said, well, that's great, you know, really good. But uh, hypothetically, what would have happened if you'd have necked it in the middle of the lake or drop kicked it? said, I wouldn't have asked you to be at Hilton Head at seven o'clock on Tuesday morning. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my dumbest uh, caddy story ever that turned out good because he was good, not because I was good. And that's when I give him the Claude Harmon story. One time he changed my grip and I said, well, daddy, it doesn't feel good. His exact words were, you appear to be a bright young man. He didn't say I was. And uh, he asked me if I knew what an inanimate object was. And I said, I think so. And he asked me if the ball was inanimate. And I said, yes. Club inanimate, yes. He said, well, those two things don't care about your feelings. (laughs) That the downswing is not an encounter group (laughs) between your feelings. And that the ball is going to go pretty much where the club face tells it. And... The grip influences the club face dramatically. So I think most players who start off with bad grips uh, will struggle uh, with golf. And funny, I had a conversation with Bones uh, about six weeks ago. I've never met Justin Thomas, so I don't know him from Adam. He couldn't pick me out of the lineup. And I said, as a fan, just watching him, I think he has a very interesting issue in the sense that I don't believe in any sense of the world that he's a choker. I said, I think he wants to win so bad. And his desire to win and his desire to be successful is so strong that he has a hard time calming down on Sundays. And he doesn't seem to let the game come to him, let's say, or the round come to him. And Bones agreed. He said he's very hard on himself. I have a funny story. Um... (laughs) My brother Dick was working with Lanny Watkins, and uh, my dad was at Lockenbar where Butch was, and Lockenbar in Houston is very close to the airport, so Lanny flew down, Dick picked him up, and Lockenbar is maybe 10 minutes away, so they went to work at Lockenbar, but dad was watching Dick give Lanny a lesson, and Dick said it was the most nervous he's ever been, because usually it was we were watching dad give a good player lesson. And uh, he said, dad sat there for two or three hours, never said a word, which he thought was nice. And uh, Lanny, when you watched him in person, was unusually good. He wasn't just good. He was unusually good. Uh, His ball striking capabilities were really, really very, very impressive. And he had a great session and they went in for lunch and uh, Lanny turned, uh, my dad turned to Lanny and he said, you know, I don't, I only have two things to tell you. And Lanny kind of perked up and he said, uh, first thing I do is make sure I get my clubs and myself to the tee on time. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing I would do is I change my route to the bank every Monday so you don't get robbed. <laughs> So what I'm really curious about is why are you taking lessons from Dick? He said, because your ball comes out like it's 
delivered from a Remington rifle and Dick's ball comes out like it's delivered by a seed gun going 360 degrees all over the course. <laughs> so it took that about three hours to get the harpoon into Dick after he buttered Lanny up. But his point was he wouldn't have changed anything with Lanny Watkins swing, even though it had a lot of individual characteristics, very low hands, incredibly fast tempo. Uh, if you ever look at Lanny's swing in slow motion, go to YouTube, very odd, uh, impact position with his left arm bent and his left wrist cupped a little bit like uh, Lee Westwood. These were all things that dad probably would not have looked at in a model swing, but dad looked at the ball and the ball liked Lanny's swing. So he wouldn't have changed anything. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Arky. subscribe to Two the show. Hour. And hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified. Movie classics. New episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard. Job. And hit them off. That's 36 holes.